Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Ashley. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. I am excited to have you on as a guest to talk to us about financial adulting. (laughs) So before we dive in, tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Ashley and I founded a company called The Fiscal Femme, which I call a feminist money platform. And I, what do I do? I talk about money all day and I write about money and personal finance. (laughs) And you're the author of two books, right? Yes. My first book is The 30-Day Money Cleanse. And then my new book coming out is Financial Adulting. Really excited. Exciting. Congratulations. So I want you to tell us, what does it mean to be a financial adult? Like we hear this all the time, but what does it really mean? And what is your own personal experience of becoming a financial adult? Yes. (laughs) Such a good question. I think there's like a misconception that financial adulting or being a financial adult means you know it all and you never make mistakes and you have it all figured out. And that's not how I define it. I, as, as far as my own journey, I definitely, I've found for myself and a lot of the people in my community that there's usually something that happens in your life that has you start to care about money. And Uh it's definitely a privilege. A lot of people have to financial adult before they're even adults, just because they have to figure it out. But for me, it was when I switched jobs and took a big pay cut. But to step back, how I view what a financial adult is, because it's not the end all be all. Unfortunately, I think the money journey lasts forever. (laughs) We're always learning and growing. I'm still making mistakes, but it's about taking small, consistent steps that end up leading to big results. And it's also financial adults know what's happening with their money, which sounds very simple, but it's actually very profound to know what's coming in, what's going out, what's going to goals. And they also have plans and feel confident in those plans, knowing that they get to have an experience, what they've set out for in life. And then I'd say the final piece of being a financial adult is understanding the context of equity and money. And if we have financial privilege, we can and use that to help close racial and gender wealth gaps. And also understanding if we're starting at a disadvantage due to systemic oppression. So having that context is important as a financial adult. Yes, definitely. I definitely think that 
my financial adulting was in phases, right? Like you said, it's something that happens that causes you to care. And I think it can be something positive or even negative. Like, for example, getting my first job out of college, making money mistakes, um, <laughs> <laughs> making investing mistakes, reaching a certain status and wanting to help my family, help my community. Those are all opportunities for financial adulting for me. Yes. And I think that, you know, I think sometimes when people hear the idea of financial adulting, they think it's just one thing and all of a sudden I'm a financial adult. <laughs> right. There's no arriving. Yes. <laughs> it's a series of things. So if you're a work in progress and you're listening, it's fine. We all are. <laughs> exactly. And I was nodding as you were saying all the different types of mistakes. Like I've made all of those too. And I think there's, like you said, levels. So there's when you first get a job, you have to learn how to manage your money. You pay taxes for the first time. You're like putting it together a budget. And then there's like leveled up financial adulting, which is also in the book, but how to make an estate plan, how to understand insurance as you add members of your family and credit scores. And so there's, and actually investing and have your money growing. So I think there's financial adulting can meet you wherever you are in your financial journey. Yes. And I also like that you said, recognizing the privilege that you have to be able to even go on this financial adulting journey, right? The fact that you're listening to this podcast means that you are in a position where you can make change in your life. You can do things differently with your money. And it's something that I do think about, especially given my own background and my own upbringing and knowing that, you know, both of my parents truly struggled to come out of families of poverty to give me and my siblings opportunities. It's something that I think about and I remind myself of often. So I don't take the opportunities I have to be a financial adult for granted. Right. It's something for us all to think about. Yes. It's like such a tremendous gift and something I'm sure like that's something that I think about wanting to give to my kids. But then it's also like if depending on where we started and what we're encountering in our everyday lives, it's just a good reminder that we can't really compare ourselves to others. If someone has student loans versus not, that's a different financial goal and a different financial place. Yeah. Everybody's journey is unique. You can be successful regardless of where you are. It's about your focus and your motivation. And and that's something that you talk about on your platform often. I'm sure you talk about this throughout your, your book, but you highlighted some of these steps, right? So we've already established that we're all works in progress yes. <laughs> on this adulting life journey, financial journey. But what are some of the first steps that someone needs to take to officially say, I am now on my financial adulting journey? I think the most fun and motivating place to start is with goals. Like, mm -hmm. what do you want? Yes. And <laughs> we, you know, we, I want everyone to be wealthy, but it's usually not the stacks of money that are what motivate us. It's what we're going to do with it or what we want to do with it. And so I think goals are a great place to start. One of the first exercises in the book is like listing out what you want and it can be tangible. Like I need to build my rainy day fund and I want to pay down my credit card debt. I want to start investing or it could be more of a, an emotional subjective thing. Like I want to have peace of mind with my money or feel stable and we can work backwards to say, okay, to feel that way, what would it take financially to get there? Mm -hmm. So I think goals are where to start. And then part of 
what I, a place I think we get tripped up with goals is that, and this is something that happens with new year's resolutions, which we just, you know, that was this time of year too, but that we think we have to completely transform or take these leaps and bounds in order to make progress. And what happens is that's, we're, you know, like this is a part of our lives, but Many have careers they're working on all day and families and a ton of other responsibilities where we can't be spending, we're not spending all day on our finances. And so to take small, consistent steps, I find has it so that we stick with it. And it's something that we can make progress on year round and we don't resent it and we don't give up. And so whatever those goals are, I recommend or wherever we're starting, if someone says, my first goal is to put together a budget and I'm going to start putting together a budget there. And I think Finance, like having that financial plan, what's coming in, what's going out is also an incredible place to start financial adulting as well. But breaking it down that first step so it's small enough that we know we're going to do it versus when we say we're going to do it, but we kind of deep down know that that's not going to happen. I think we can break things down to be manageable and that our progress is not linear. So just because I'm taking a very teeny step today or putting $5 away into my savings account this week doesn't mean it's going to take a thousand years for me to save up for my first home. You know, it's, it tends to be exponential as we see the progress and get more motivated and add more steps and get into habits. It's really cool to see how it, it gets easier and progress grows is, is what I tell people starting on the journey for sure. Yeah, I I definitely agree on making the goals. And I think especially for us as women, it's important to give ourselves grace, especially Mm -hmm. when we are taking these small steps, because sometimes all we can do is take small steps, depending on what type of what what's going on in your life, right? Depending on what you're trying to to manage, to navigate, improve your finances at the same time. And sometimes all you can do is take the small step. And like you said, sometimes so many people are just focused on this grand transformation, like the before and after we see on social media, that right. we take those small steps for granted, right? <laughs> because we're looking for that big transformation. Like it's just going to be overnight. I'm going to be I'm going to have all this money and you know, that person has it. And so what, how, why should it, why shouldn't I have it that same way? And we stay focused on this grand transformation that we don't take those small steps that actually over time lead to that transformation. That's not overnight. Right. So giving us, giving ourselves the grace to take the small steps, to acknowledge that we're taking the, the small steps so that we can count our progress. We can measure how well we're doing is so incredibly important. I think race, like you said, is so important and a way that helps me. And it's something we, and it's actually one of the first things that first exercises in the book is really understanding how much we have working against us when it comes to personal finances to, to help us muster up some grace for ourselves, because most of us weren't taught about this. It's taboo to talk about. It's something we deal with almost every single day. There's marketing budgets that have so much info about us that they can sell us things. And there's just so much there. And then as women, and then if you're a woman of color, if you have a disability, if you're LGBTQ plus, there's just so many things that compound and that grace can allow us to, first of all, not punish ourselves throughout the journey. And then also I think when we're, we're, 
we're kinder to ourselves. We have some compassion. We can learn from our mistakes. And that's the key mm-hmm. because we are going to make them. And it's being able to, and as hard as it is, kind of take a step back and say, oh, interesting. Like I set that budget and it didn't work. Or I meant to put that amount towards my debt and something happened. What did happen? What got in the way? And kind of analyzing it to see how we can improve rather than throwing up our arms and saying, oh, I'll never be able to do this, you know? So that I think what you said, like grace is probably the most critical piece. Yeah. And another thing I'd love for you to, to clarify is that a lot of times when I see people talking about adulting, life adulting, financial adulting, they talk about it as if there's a certain age for it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, You're 18. <laughs> financial adulting 101. Can you please clarify this myth <laughs> about the age to be a financial adult? We guess uh, there is no age. We are all financial adulting. So like you said, there are so many stages of it and someone can be at the beginning stage and in their sixties and someone could be at the beginning stage and in their teens, you know? So I think wherever we are is where we are and that's where we are on our journey. And I do, I know I get this question a lot too, like, is your book for a certain age group? And while maybe my audience is mostly like a certain age based on who follows me, but it really is applicable to anyone on this journey because we are starting at all different times of our life. So I agree. There's no age to be financial adulting. Thank you for clarifying that. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I'm always happy to debunk myths with you. (laughs) So you have a chapter in your book where you talk about, you share the steps someone can take to becoming a financial adult. You talk about goal setting and tracking expenses and consumer activism and estate planning, taxes, investing. You talk about all of these different things, but you also say that, okay, here are all the steps to be a financial adult, but you can become your own money coach. Like you can Mm -hmm. implement all these steps and guide yourself and coach yourself through all of them. Can you elaborate on what it means to become your own money coach and how can folks listening start to do that for themselves? Yes, I am happy to. So when we think about all of, so the the whole book, like you mentioned, we talk about all these steps and things to do and putting together a plan, but the real magic happens in the consistency, the checking in, the updating. And that's really what a money coach does. So a money coach, like any other coach is someone who cheers us on. They're supporting us. They ask good questions. Their, Their goal is to help you get to your goals. So we can, we can be that for ourselves. And they also help problem solve with us without judgment, or they shouldn't have any judgment or shame us for our mistakes. So again, they help us look at what's happening. What can we do better? How can we improve? And so becoming our own money coach, that's definitely a mindset. And because we tend to not be very cheerleading of ourselves around our money, we tend to be pretty critical and sometimes downright mean to ourselves. But (laughs) all of this can can happen during a monthly or even a biweekly ritual that I call a money party. And why I think money parties are so important is that we have things that come up randomly in our money lives. We have a plan that we need to see what actually, if our plans are happening, if the, if our real expenses are reflecting what we planned, or we need to have, there's things that we need to check in on like our investments or if we are adequately insured. And so these are all things we can do at a money party. And 
the reason I call them a party is I want we us to reframe that time and try to make it fun. Like maybe you'll never look forward to your money party as much as a real party, but, but if there's a way to, you know, put on some music, get cozy, have a favorite snack or beverage or incorporate your family or your friends into the ritual, it can be a time that we look forward to. And we end up keeping this appointment to spend time with our money because we are busy. And if we don't ever set aside the time, it's just, not going to happen. And these things are going to hang over our heads and stress us out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the idea of a money party. Make it fun. Get your coffee, your tea, your glass of wine, you know, put on your music, bring out your spreadsheet, exactly. <laughs> bring out your goals, you know, like, or your planner. It can be fun. It can be exciting. And, you know, one thing I like to remind myself of and remind everybody of is that when you are doing your check-in, focus on the pluses what you've accomplished yes obviously you want to look up look at what didn't work like you had said earlier you can learn from the mistakes from the lessons from the errors but then also focus and acknowledge take a minute to just celebrate oh my god I reached a savings goal mm. I paid my bills on time I I stuck to this part of my budget like acknowledge what you you did well with that month because the biggest thing I see people struggle with, and we do check-ins all the time on the Clever Finance Instagram, and we ask people, how do you do this week or this month? And a lot of people kind of just focus on the negatives. Mm. I, I meal planned all week, but <laughs> but I'm so mad at myself because I didn't do X, Y, Z. But girl, you meal planned all week. That's a huge deal. Right. <laughs> Let's acknowledge that, right? So yes. just reminding yourself to focus on those positives makes that party even more fun. <laughs> I love that idea. I feel like there could be like an, this requirement that you have to come up with three things you did well at the bunny party, you know, yeah. to, to force <laughs> ourselves to celebrate. <laughs> and I, I think too, I do this myself and I notice it's like a tricky mind game we do with goals. Like, let's say my goal is to pay down $3,000 in debt. And as I get closer to reaching that goal and making progress, it's almost like I imagine my new where I am now is the starting place and I forget how far I've come. So I do think it's so great to have like a moment in time when you're when you're starting to track something and and write down where you stand. Like how much do I have saved now? Zero or I have I have this much in debt so that we can't do that mind game on ourselves. Like as we pay it off, we're like, Oh, it wasn't that big a deal. I didn't have that much anyway, but to actually see how far we've come, because I think it's, there's some, there was a meme going around, I think around the new year that was like, imagine yourself from five years ago, what would she think of you now? And we, I don't think we acknowledge our progress, like you said. So yeah any ways to quantify it or make it a rule that you have to say and celebrate. And also to that point too, I think rewarding ourselves because having the money party is a win in itself. So you can reward yourself for that. Like take a bubble bath or watch your favorite show. Or I've def- I've had even people in the community do a money party with their friends and then they all go out after, you know, you can, I think rewards, we work very well with them. Yes, get your Starbucks. <laughs> right. Get your Starbucks. Get two. extra whipped cream on top. <laughs> yes. Make it caloric. <laughs> extra everything. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
Ashley, one of the other things you talk about in your book is about consumer activism. Mm. And I'd love for you to discuss that more and what it means and how we can all be thinking about how we spend our dollars in terms of what we value most. Consumer activism. So how I define it is using our money to vote for more of what we want to see in the world. And that can be through our spending, through our giving to organizations doing great work, to our, even our, to our investing, to what services we use. And, you know, this, I was so excited to have this be a chapter and it, when I dove into this topic, it can feel so daunting, just like other personal finance topics, because we have a lot of different expenses. Companies are large and complicated. So I think this is another place where we have to have a lot of grace for ourselves and try to make positive changes maybe once a month, once a whatever your cadence and your time allow. I think it's also important to acknowledge that t- sometimes when a company is more ethical, if they might, or especially if they're environmentally conscious, the product might be more expensive. So there's definitely a privilege in being able to choose a product that's more expensive because it's ethically sourced or it actually takes a lot of time to research these things. So that's a like having time is a privilege that others might not have. I ended up creating a channel in our Slack community called consumer activism because I needed new sneakers and I spent three hours researching and I thought, you know what, if other people are researching their own decisions and then we post about them in the group, we can kind of search and use each other's knowledge and wisdom that, and save ourselves time to, to source this. But to become, I would say like the first step is thinking about what's important to you about a company. To me, I am very passionate about companies having diverse management teams and diverse boards. I think like that means there's more leaders and people are earning more and it's financially even companies do better when they have diverse leadership for someone else. It might be, and the hard part is all of these things are very important. So it's hard to just focus, but if, if we focus on too many, there's not any companies left <laughs> to buy things from. <laughs> no, <But> right? <laughs> some people are very focused on the environment. Some are focused on like really understanding the supply chain and making sure there's no child labor that, or, you know, so there's so many things we can focus on, but getting clear on our own criteria and then starting to look at where we're spending our money. And if there's expenses, we can switch over choose one, do some research. And if, if it's not, the company doesn't align to, to research and make a switch. Yes. And I'm a huge fan of consumer activism. And like you said, there's just so many ways you can approach it that it can be overwhelming, right? Yes. (laughs) To spend 15 hours a day doing research on, oh, should I buy these sneakers or not? But I think you pick what's of most important to you. And then you prioritize that way for me specifically, you know, when I think about how I act in terms of consumer activism, my focus or priorities are around women-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses, black-owned businesses, for example. And then, you know, so, so I, I leverage my consumer activism towards companies and demographics I want to support, but I also leverage it in terms of principle and things I will absolutely not support. Mm -hmm. So for example, there are certain 
fast fashion brands I just will not purchase from because I know how poorly they treat their workers in third world or poverty stricken areas where they have their factories, how they use child labor. And that stuff just really, really bothers me, especially when you sit and you watch those documentaries and you realize that this blouse, (laughs) this blouse that I think is so amazing is actually on the back of some little boy or little girl somewhere who got nothing to make it, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of, you know, on, you know, activism on principle or even companies where I just do not agree on the stance of the CEO when -hmm. it comes to diversity or women. I think it's important for us all to think about where you want to spend your money. And sometimes, you know, like this is a billion, multi-billion, trillion dollar company. My dollars are of no difference to them, but for me, it's principle. Yes. It's the principle of it, right? It may not matter to you, but it matters to me. And I think, and I, to that point of like, we be each of us being one person, I think that can make it feel like, what is the point? But the point of consumer activism is that companies want to make money. And when we take our dollars elsewhere, we're supporting companies that are doing things differently. They notice, especially if we talk about it and then other people start doing it. And like together, there's more power. Of course, there needs to be policy changes and changes in corporations, but sometimes it feels like we're kind of helpless in this change. And this is a place where we can be very conscious and to your point on principle, just feel good about where we're putting our dollars. And the idea being that maybe next year we can look back and see, oh, this company did end up making a change or they switched out that CEO. (laughs) Or so I think it's, really important. And the conversations are so cool around it and nuanced because like, even with the fast fashion companies that you talked about and like the horrible, horrible child labor, those are the same companies that are like, have that landfill pile of clothes that are so often companies that are offenders in one thing or offenders in multiple categories. (laughs) Yes. And like you said, you know, it's also important to recognize the brands, companies that are wanting to make change, right? Especially for big ones, because the change that they make is incredibly impactful when they make positive change as well. So thinking about how we spend our dollars, I love that you have a section in your book that talks about that because it's important, right? I want my dollars to go, you know, like you big brand, you may not care if I take my hundred dollars away from you, but guess what? This minority owned small business, that's going to make a big difference if I support them and I share my support and I tell people, I know, guess what I got from this amazing woman owned, small owned, minority owned business, right? So we should all be thinking about how we spend our dollars, right? Obviously, we want to save and get the best deals, but we also want to balance that with making sure that we are putting our dollars in the places that are of most value to us. Yes. Beautifully said. (laughs) So Ashley, what words of advice or words of motivation would you give anyone listening to this who is on their financial adulting journey in addition to picking up your book? (laughs) Yes. That's great advice. Just get the book. (laughs) Yes. Tell us the title again and then tell us the advice and motivation. The book is called Financial Adulting and you can find it at Mm financialadultingbook.com. And I would say, you know what I think is so interesting? So my background, I'm a finance major, studied, so studied finance, worked in finance, knew nothing about money. And I, there was a shame around it because I felt like if 
I don't know about money. Who does, right? Like I should be set up for this. And what I found is really no one does, right? Unless we're, we had a parent who talked to us about it or a mentor, or we sought it out. Like listening to this podcast, people are seeking out this information and this knowledge. And so I would just say that often I find that we feel kind of alone when in that we don't understand or we don't really feel like we're part of the club. And the the dedication of my book is for anyone that feels like the financial world is not for them. And the irony is that most of us don't. And when I go give a talk, one of the first things I do is say, raise your hand if you think you should know more about money and personal finance. And almost every hand goes up in the room and it doesn't matter if I'm talking to a bank, doesn't matter if I'm talking to an MBA program. So I would say like another entryway to have more grace and compassion for ourselves. But like, if you feel like you don't know what you're doing or you're, you're not where you should be, you were, that's honestly everyone. (laughs) So that kind of is something to remember as you're going on this journey. And then I just would reiterate the small consistent steps, like pick a step a week, like being part of a community like the Clever Girl community where you're checking in every week, that I think is so motivating to see and get ideas of what other people are taking steps in. It might give you an idea of something you want to do. And just having this, that cheer each other on, we're social beings. And, you know, with COVID, we've all been a lot less social than we need. And so having a group rallying around us as we go through this journey together, I think can be really, really impactful. Yeah, I agree with all of that. <clears throat> the small steps, they're really, really important. And, you know, the episode before this recording, I had a decluttering person on and she said the same thing. Mm-hmm. People get so overwhelmed by decluttering and organizing their lives that we just need to take small steps, you know, 15 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, <laughs> set your timer, get it done <laughs> and move on. And that applies right. to your health. It applies to so many different aspects in your life. Just take set the small steps, take the small steps. And over time, they add up into a really big deal. That's really great. It's like, today I'm going to do my my nightstand, <laughs> right? With the decluttering. <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't, I know I always, I don't know what this is, but I always want to like take a whole weekend and Get whoever a has bag. a whole weekend, you know, like you can't. So yeah, with finances, it's, it's a little different because life throws things at you. Sometimes it's small things. Sometimes it's big things. And you have to like, you're, you're driving on this straight road and then you're avoiding potholes and you're swerving (laughs) and there's other crazy drivers, other expenses that kind of roll up on you. (laughs) Baseball to the windshield. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, just your goal is to keep your hands on the steering wheel. (laughs) I guess (laughs) if you're decluttering and there's just like a toddler throwing paint around as you Well, this has been so great, Ashley. I ask everyone and you have to tell us what is your clever girl superpower? Oh, that is such a good question. I think my superpower is being able to take things that are complex or made to be complex and like boiling them down to what you actually need to know about them. And so like, I think that's why I love doing what I do with personal finance and because so much of the education and topics can really feel overwhelming and to just say, all right, here's what you actually need to know to be able to, to tackle this step or to be able to feel comfortable in this area. So I'd say that might be mine. Well, it's definitely evident in your books. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's a great superpower to have. 
And again, please tell us where we can learn more about you, where we can purchase your books, where we can find you on social media, et cetera. Yes, you can find me on social media at the fiscal femme. And that's our, my handle for all the socials. And then the book you can find at financialadultingbook.com and will be sold wherever books are sold. And the, our website is thefiscalfem.com. Awesome. And we're going to have the link to the books, website, your main website and your social media in the show notes. So please stop by and check out those show notes. Thank you so much, Ashley, for being here, for spending time with us and teaching us how to financially adult. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you. Of course. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.